0: So you're saying that I haven't lost hope of becoming Spider-Man one Spider-Man, day. spider one day. Okay, I'm stopping the chasing is molding gold. That girl so sweet like Angie Mama went candy shopping. I can't get my mind off, but it's floody tunes and the slime is drawn. I'm just thinking it's ironic, I'm losing you when I'm finding Sean. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Mindset, a podcast. My name is Hershawn Aurora. I'm a comedian, musician, entertainer, and I have the privilege of hosting this podcast for you. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is our first episode, okay? I could have opened up my computer, logged into Zoom, and started talking to my dad, okay? But instead, we have an award-winning researcher, bioengineer, and assistant professor at Harvard Medical School. Okay? You want to talk awards? I'm talking regional. I'm talking national. I'm talking international. Okay? This guy makes me want to take my House League soccer trophies and throw them in the garbage. Okay? This guy has traveled the world giving lectures, and he's the editor in chief of the Journal of Microphysiological Systems. My guest today is none other than the one, the only, Dr. Shrike Zhang. Thank you for being on the podcast, Dr. Zhang. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so <laughs> I did give a, a pretty profound intro, I guess, but let's, I want to let you explain what you do for our, our listeners. Uh, I know bioengineering can be quite a, a complicated field. So just for the average person, can you explain what is it that you do and what is your research about?
1: Yeah, so uh, so definitely, uh, yeah, it's a very broad area and uh, uh, we have been working on a pretty specific uh, subfield of, uh, of uh, uh, bioengineering, which is what uh, we call biofabrication. Mm-hmm. So then uh, what that means is uh, we are trying to develop different technologies uh, where we can use those to really uh, produce functional human tissues and organs, outside of the human system to allow different uh, uh, applications. For example, it can produce functional organs and tissues that can be eventually uh, placed back into the human system to uh, replace those that are damaged or uh, diseased for Regeneration purpose, but also uh, what we have been more doing uh, recently is uh, producing these uh, mimics of the human tissues and organs uh, that can be used for drug screening. And also, if you combine, for example, uh, cells or uh, materials that are from different people, uh, patients or donors, then you can start to also personalize how these different drug molecules can be screened for individual uh, patients or uh, or or persons. So that's basically, I guess, a uh, brief summary of what we have been doing here in
0: the lab. Oh, and that's that's fascinating. Uh, So you said biofabrication, so it sounds like you're creating tissues that you're then putting back into actual human beings.
1: Yeah, those are the longer term goals. So, uh, So again, I mean, Uh, So these two different areas that that I just mentioned uh, are pretty much falling uh, into the same uh, category of biofabrication, basically uh, combining fabrication and biology together to produce these functional tissues. Uh, So then uh, what you mentioned just now is for the longer term goal because eventually we're trying to make these functional tissues that can be put back in the human system uh, to allow healing, but also uh, the near-term goal that we have here is to produce these uh, models of the human tissues and organs for like screening molecules and drugs and other things like that as well. Uh, I mean, rationale for that is because again, uh, if you're creating a model uh, of the human tissue or organ for drug screening or drug discovery purpose, then uh, we don't have to make them 100% functional uh, in most cases. I mean, 80% functional, that's usually enough. But then if you're putting anything back into the human body, then you have to make sure that everything is entirely functional before actually do that. So yeah, so then that's just a matter how we design things and uh, uh, dividing them into shorter longer term goals uh, depending on their functionality level that we're uh, uh, looking at.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're saying right now it isn't at the point where they're 100% functional. That's more of a, a future goal that we aspire to get to.
1: Yeah, I think also depends on the level of uh, complexity we're trying to engineer this tissue. I mean, certain tissues are a little simpler, uh, like skins and something like that. But then if you're looking at more complex tissues and organs like the liver, like the uh, kidney, for example, or, or the heart, uh, then I mean, they're very complicated in terms of structure, mm-hmm. in terms of function. So, I mean, getting everything 100% functional uh, for those kind of uh, very complex organs, uh, I mean, that's still something that uh, people are actively working on for sure.
0: So, I'm interested, like, how exactly do we go about making the like biofabrication what does that involve is it involved 3d printing or is it like organ on a chip i know i read about some <laughs> of the stuff that you do but i just want you to elaborate yeah. if you don't mind like how exactly does that work
1: yeah yeah definitely so yes yeah, very good question so uh yeah i mean biofabrication uh well it's a very specific area of bioengineering but uh, still it's uh, broad enough to include uh many different types of technologies that are uh, uh, allowing uh fabricating tissues. So yeah, so basically you mentioned the 3D bioprinting. So that's actually something that we extensively work on right now. So what that means is that, I guess everyone knows about, I mean, the paper printers that we have at home or office. So it's pretty much the same uh, principle over there. So uh, instead of printing these uh, inks that are, I mean, on the paper, uh, we are actually making bioinks, meaning that you have some biomaterials that are uh, benign enough or compatible enough to the cells so then you can actually have living cells that are embedded in these biomaterials to use as the bio ink that we call so then if you replace the conventional ink with this bio inks uh, with the printers then you can start to actually pattern these different cells and biomaterials uh, in two dimensions and three dimensions so that's allowing you to really uh, produce uh, tissues that are structurally relevant and also if you have a uh, uh, proper cell types in there, you can also make the whole tissue uh, uh, also uh, very functional as well. So yeah, so that's something that we do uh, quite often uh, uh, as one of the uh, uh, major kind of uh, efforts in the lab here right now. Uh, but you also mentioned organs on chip devices, so that's something that we uh, work uh, additionally uh, quite extensively as well. So so organ chip devices are basically those little chips. So so. Those are like little devices that are in the range of centimeters in size uh, that can have a uh, multi-layered structure that can have the flow profusion in there to emulate the compartmentalized uh, tissue structures uh, that we have in the human body. And also not only that, uh, the more important function of the chip is that you can also include Introduce all these different dynamic cues into the microenvironment. For example, uh, in the human system, uh, nothing is really static, right? So you have um, blood flow throughout the vessels. You have uh, if you breathe, uh, then you have these breathing events that are allowing expansion and contraction of the alveolar kind of lung uh, movements. So with these chip devices, then we can uh, very easily or uh, very conveniently incorporate all these different dynamic cues like flows and also the mechanical movements uh, into this microenvironment. So then you can start to build these models of human tissues and organs uh, outside of the human system uh, in very uh, physiologically relevant ways. So those are, yeah, a few different technologies that we have been working on quite extensively in lab to try to uh, produce human tissues and the organs uh, for different applications.
0: And that's, that's so amazing. I, how does it feel working on such like revolutionary, uh, technology?
1: Well, it's feeling good, I guess. (laughs) I mean, uh, I mean, we are, we are, uh, bioengineering by training. So, so basically we are, uh, not only thinking about, uh, well, the different aspects. So we are, quite extensive um, uh, engineering perspective, for sure, because we are designing all the devices, like chip devices, and also we are even building our own printers uh, to allow better uh, tissues to be, to be fabricated, but also uh, things where um, also where there's bio side of things. So we are also uh, working quite hard on uh, downstream applications as well, basically building different tissue types, organ types, uh, to allow, uh, for example, healing of the tissues of the specific types or modeling of the different tissues for uh, screening of different drugs and uh, that kind of application. So, yeah, so, I mean, uh, I think being able to really uh, develop technologies uh, to make them more robust, more functional uh, to eventually benefit, uh, I mean, the human life, that's, I think that's a very, very, uh, I guess good feeling for sure.
0: Mm, that's awesome. Very awesome to hear that. Um, just so I want to, I want to clarify for the listeners. Uh, so basically, organ on a chip, from my understanding, it's uh, where you take a very small I guess, uh, is it a plastic chip? That's, that's,
1: yeah. So, uh, so that can be different materials, but uh, yeah, it can be usually stuff, What's usually plastic or silicone based material.
0: Okay. So you take the silicone based material and I think there's a membrane and on top you can have, uh, well you, on the membrane, you will grow a certain type of human cell. So for example, yeah. you mentioned lung cells or it can be any cell I imagine. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so that's, uh, I mean, what you described just now is actually one of the most common forms of the organ chip devices where you have a membrane in the middle uh, uh, and you have a tissue chamber in the bottom and then another uh, vascular chamber in the top. So then mm-hmm. that's giving you the chance to really emulate some of the uh, uh, like interface tissues, meaning that uh, tissues that are uh, on the interfaces, like the vasculature uh, and all the things like that. So, then, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, you can have uh, cells on different portions of this membrane uh, and uh, also potentially some other cells in different uh, other different compartments. And then, uh, again, as mentioned, it's very important that uh, these chip devices are allowing the incorporation of the different uh, uh, dynamic cues because uh, with a vascular compartment on top, you can potentially. Uh, perfuse the blood or whatever other liquid, uh, to uh, mimic the vascular flow on top, and then uh, for example, in the bottom, you can then apply some sort of uh, mechanical uh, uh emulations to allow, for example, cyclic stretching of this membrane. So then you can actually also replicate uh, for example, the breathing event or, for example, if your heart beats, then uh, the vessels are being dilated and constricted all the time. So then you can also mimic that kind of movements uh, outside human body. So those are giving you really good chance to uh, to excise these cells uh, because in the conventional culture cells are basically on a, a I mean static uh, surface. then I mean the uh, well for some cells that's okay but for other cell types or most of cell types I mean the in vivo dynamics, uh, within the human body that's being basically uh, lost uh, outside human system. So mm-hmm. with this kind of devices, then uh, you can build in all these dynamics in there to uh, really recapitulate the nice microenvironment that's uh, really physiological and uh, uh, sometimes pathologically relevant to the human system to allow building of these devices.
0: That's that's so, so fascinating. Basically, okay, I want to, let me make an analogy to maybe help the listeners understand traditionally when we do scientific experiments it used to be on like cell lines in petri dishes right yeah. and comparing that to this is like comparing maybe like a motorola Razor to an iphone 13 pro is that <laughs> like a, is that like a, an accurate analogy that i'm making where we have these systems these cell lines but what we're able to do with them is just so much more advanced and dynamic and relevant yeah. to what we're yeah. what we're trying to yeah. study
1: yeah, exactly. And also, I mean, that's why uh, another reason that the, we are also bringing in the components of bioprinting because uh, there is also a trend where you can combine different technologies. For example, we have been doing a lot of things on combining 3D bioprinting with organ chip devices. Uh, then not only can you have these, uh, I mean, flows and everything in the chips, but also with bioprinting, you can start to really uh, produce three-dimensional volumetric tissues within the chip devices. So then it's really looking like human, I mean, organs and tissues. Uh, again, going back to what you mentioned, for the conventional experiments, everything is down um, a petri dish, and then everything is static, everything is a two-dimensional, like, monolith of the cells. And nothing like that is uh, in the human system, right? I mean, almost nothing, I would say. Uh, I mean, human tissues are three-dimensional. We have volumetric structure of the whole cells and the whatever other materials in there. And they have the blood flow and all the mechanical kind of uh, actuations happening there. So uh, only with this kind of more advanced models can you really recapitulate not only three-dimensionality, but also the uh, dynamic microenvironments in there for tissue functions.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So where do you think um, that this technology is headed? Like obviously it, where it's at right now sounds amazing but what is the next step because okay we're here and we're we have a model that we can create and it's much more uh indicative of what the human body is actually like but uh is there can we connect these chips can we make a, a human a full human body model can we make population models like where is this technology going
1: yeah, so I think uh, there are a few directions. So yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, multi-organ shift that we call, uh, is something uh, that's actually attracting a lot of the attention from, uh, from different communities for sure. Uh, so again, the rationale for that is uh, in the human system, uh, tissues and organs work in coordination, right? Because I mean, there's nothing that's really isolated from each other, from the other organs. So then, uh, I mean, sometimes, for example, there's also systemic effect, meaning that uh, there's like hormone and also uh, other whatever factors that are being circulated in the human system through the blood, then uh, one organ function or behavior uh, may actually affect the behaviors of the other organs. So, so then that's also, uh, an issue with conventional models uh, based on the patient dishes that we just discussed about uh, because then uh, everything is in isolation, right? So in in their dishes, Uh, if you want to look at uh, interactions of these different tissues and organs, then it's not possible. But then with organ chip devices or these more uh, advanced models, you can start to really connect these different organ types together, for example, liver, heart and uh, whatever together in a way that you can then start to really uh, also uh, investigate how these different uh, tissues are interacting uh, just like the way that they're interacting in the human system. So that's something definitely will be uh, very interesting to look at, uh, especially for uh, drug discovery because uh, when a drug is being uh, being developed, then it's not only, efficacy that we have to look at, but also it's toxicity, right? So we don't want to have any uh, unwanted uh, side effects of a drug molecule. That's actually one of the most important criteria for drug development. So yes, only uh, with this kind of multi-organ-on-chip system uh, can one really uh, understand how a drug is being perceived by these different tissues and organs uh, in the the circulation to allow, uh, I mean, more robust drug development
0: awesome so this is a really good um i guess substitute for animal testing right where we can test on this system of organs rather than test on for example like a mouse or something right that is that
1: yeah so uh, yeah so definitely so i think i think uh yeah i wouldn't say that it's going to be complete replacement uh, but uh i think it's going to be a a a, a for sure it's going to be a very good substitute for some of the animal experiments, uh, if not all, right? So, uh, uh, I mean, uh, as we know, animals are being used for many years now, and uh, a lot of times they are, I mean, Pretty nice choice, uh, but then I mean, of course, there are issues with uh, ethical kind of concerns, and also, uh, more importantly, I mean, there are also issues with animal models that are not translating properly to the human system. So I think, uh, I think the goal here is to really try to reduce as much as possible the animal experiments. We can, we have to do, uh, 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 and in certain cases, we can. Uh, I think we can uh, say that. Uh, eventually uh, these organ chip devices can replace the animal models uh, for certain applications.
0: So this is where I'm interested because you said about toxicity, you mentioned um, that's a very important thing to measure when we're testing drugs. If you're using the organ on a chip network rather than an actual living mouse, for example, does toxicity present differently? Like for example, you might see the mouse physically getting sick or whatever, but if it's just, chips and separate organs that you're looking at, how does the toxicity present itself?
1: Yeah, so I think this is uh, really dependent on different drug molecules. I mean, certain uh, drug molecules that are, uh, well, I think most cases, uh, we actually uh, don't see a toxicity in the animals, but then when we translate to the humans, then toxicity actually comes up. Uh, But also in some other cases uh, where people have tested, drug molecules in uh, some animal models like dogs or whatever thing. Uh, and then they were, well, I think this is more efficacy actually, on the other side. So they were not seeing efficacy. So the drug molecules were actually abandoned uh, during the uh, discovery process. But then later on, they figured out that these actually are effective efficient or F, uh, if F cases uh, for the for the human body. So it's actually both ends, right? So a lot of times uh, drugs are uh, being uh, being deemed safe uh, safe in the animals, they don't really translate into the human system because then in humans, they're actually in toxicity. But some other cases, uh, which are not very common, but sometimes happens is, I mean, a lot of drugs that uh, may have been uh, translated into the market uh, got abandoned earlier just because, I mean, they don't show efficacy in, in these animals, but they actually are efficaces in, in the human.
0: Mm-hmm. So where would we get these human cells to test on? Like, uh, do we get them from volunteers or uh, from cell lines or where, where do you get the, the, the cells to make these models?
1: Yeah, sure. I think it depends on uh, exactly what they're trying to make. So uh, I think most of the cases, uh, people are still relying on cell lines. Uh, to begin with, uh, but then once the models are being uh, produced, people would uh, most likely uh, turn to these primary cells. Uh, and a lot of the cells are actually commercially available, you can just source them from different uh, commercial sources. But also uh, another thing I think we discussed about this in the very beginning, uh, another very interesting for these uh, organ chip devices is that you can actually uh, uh, make them using cells that are coming from different donors or patients So, that you can start to personalize the uh, drug uh, screening for individual patients. For example, you can get cancer cells, tumor cells from different uh, patient tumor biopsies, uh, and then use uh, those cells uh, to construct these individualized chip devices. So, then you can start to really uh, look at uh, well, it's not really developing new drugs, but the screening existing drug or drug combinations for uh, individual patients because everyone uh, may be responding differently. So if you use uh, uh, each individual patient's uh, cells on these devices, you can start to really personalize the therapeutic screening for these different patients, even with the drugs that are already in market.
0: And when we say like personalized, are you speaking like obviously of their condition, but also of their genetic makeup? Like, can we can we get it to a point where we have a person's entire, I guess, uh, genome, and then we give, make a model of their, that person yeah. specifically to test on?
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's uh, basically what I meant. So you can actually get, for example, if a patient have a, has a cancer, then you can actually get these uh, cancer biopsies from the patient, and then you can actually uh, then start to uh, obtain those uh, tumor cells uh, from the specific patient biopsy and then put those cells onto the chip devices to make a chip device or a series of chip devices for uh, for that specific patient then allowing uh, screening of the drug molecules just for that patient. So uh, yeah so the cells that are coming from the patient then has uh, have all the uh, genetic information in there but also I think it's more than genetic genetic information because uh, there have been some precision medicine methods over there by looking at uh, genetic profiling or everything like that. Uh, But then it turns out that uh, if you only look at genetic profiles, uh, sometimes it's not really accurate enough because, I mean, it's not only genetic profiles, but also there's epigenetic uh, microenvironment, meaning that uh, there are external microenvironments like the, uh, like like micro environment for the tissues that are also important uh, in determining how the tissues are going to be responding to drug molecule or therapies. So then I think if you can actually make these uh, uh, like micro systems. Uh, outside human human body to uh, really recapitulate uh, what in vivo, like a human uh, microenvironment is, then it's uh, encompassing not only genetic profiles, but also the epigenetic profiles uh, within that human uh, specific human kind of microenvironment to allow more accurate testing of the drugs uh, uh, in that sense.
0: This all sounds so futuristic and just revolutionary. I do have to ask though, do you think that there are any like drawbacks to this method or is there still anything that still needs to be optimized when it comes to using these newer methods
1: Yeah sure definitely I mean it's uh, yeah I mean I guess what we discussed about uh just now I mean uh I don't think everything so uh, is right now uh just ready right so it's more Uh, a combination of what's being ready already, but also what's being uh, uh, wanted by the community. So for example, the multi-organ on chip system, uh, certain formulations are already, uh, I mean, pretty uh, developed, but then if you want to incorporate more uh, organs in the same system, that can be tricky because, I mean, for in vitro, you have to Uh, really choose the proper, let's say, cell culture medium and all the microenvironmental cues to allow uh, the combination of the multiple organs in the same uh, culture system, but also at the same time maintain their viability and function. So that's not a trivial job. So uh, yes, I think there are still uh, some technical barriers that are being addressed by the community. But uh, I think eventually it's, go, it's going to go there uh, and realize what we've just been discussing that uh, for those functions.
0: No, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for all the, the information on that topic. Um, so I want to switch gears now. Um, there's lots of like sci-fi movies and, and television shows that have their own like depiction of biotechnology. How do you think these, I guess, fictional depictions compare to the reality of what bioengineering actually is?
1: Uh, I think they are actually pretty good. I mean, especially for the recent, I guess, uh, science fictions. Uh, I guess, I mean, yeah, definitely. I think there are a lot of the uh, investigations into the uh, into technologies before the movies are shot, but then <laughs> or whatever. Uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think those are. Uh, yeah, I mean. Great wishes, and uh, I do think that some of them actually being gradually realized by by the the technology. I mean, uh, if you look at the the technological developments in the past uh, few, couple of decades especially, right? So everything is developing so fast uh, recently, and uh, I think uh, the fields are rapidly moving uh, forward uh, to really, I think, realize some of the uh, things that are uh, being envisioned uh, earlier on that were thought. To be uh, almost impossible, right? So like rockets and other things, like uh, SpaceX, right? So I mean, everything's becoming uh, a lot of the uh, yeah. I mean, uh, things that I, that we wouldn't even think about like a decade ago.
0: So you're saying that I haven't lost hope of becoming Spider Man one day?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. Why not, right? So I think <laughs> I think that's uh, well. Yeah. I mean, again, with the pace that we're at for uh, for all technological difference, I I I, I wouldn't think that's uh, impossible, right? So eventually, I think that's totally possible at some point.
0: Hey, listen, you heard it here first. Mindset, a podcast, Spider-Man can happen. Okay. <laughs> that is... Out of all the stuff that we've talked about, so interesting to me, I think that's going to be the biggest takeaway for the listeners is like, uh, hey, don't, don't don't lose faith on your dreams. <laughs> uh, do you have a, a favorite, I guess, movie or TV show which relates to bioengineering or your field? It's hmm.
1: a good question. That's something...
0: Uh, I, I don't know if you have time to watch movies or TVs. <laughs> yeah,
1: not too much, not too much. I mean, once in a while, but not too much. I mean, I I, I don't have anything uh, of my uh, of my mind right now. Uh, but I do think that uh, there are some interesting technologies that are being uh being thought about, like the brain engineering sort of things. Uh, whether I don't know, I mean, I don't know if that's uh, well, ethically, uh, good or not, but uh, I think uh, those kind of uh, uh, like chips in the brains and other things like that, controlling uh, things, uh, would be something that's uh, very interesting. I mean, people are developing like neural, uh, uh, neural machine interfaces like that. To, uh, of course, I mean, in the real life, it's more not controlling. I mean, normal people, but it's more really uh, controlling uh, or helping people that are paralyzed or that cannot be controlling themselves uh, by nature. So I think those kind of techn- technologies are really being uh, uh, being very interesting for the future.
0: Mm-hmm. And you just mentioned that like all these technologies are being made with the intention obviously to help people, but how do you navigate this industry where sometimes these technologies that are made for one reason can be used for another reason, potentially a bad reason?
1: Yeah, sure. So. Yeah, I guess, I mean, that's something that I, I probably can't do really much about. But then I guess it's really uh, about, uh, I mean, there's a whole field of bioethics, right? So I mean, people are developing or discussing all the time that uh, how to regulate uh, these uh, different technologies that uh, are being developed so that uh, they're being used in the right way, not uh, something that uh, are th- something that are not uh, in the right direction for sure. So yeah, but I mean, people are certainly aware of that. and. Uh, and, uh, and I'm pretty sure that there are communities that are working hard on that to allow uh, proper things to be done.
0: So basically, if you do become Spider-Man, beware. There will be villains <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So uh, you're an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School. How did you like decide to pursue that position? How did that come about?
1: Yeah, so uh, I mean... I I I basically did my training here at Harvard Mass School as well. So uh, then I mean it's very nice environment as you uh, as you may imagine. I mean you have all the great, uh, uh people and uh, great schools and the uh, great resources here in, in the Boston area. So uh, so then uh, I mean I decided to stay around. And uh, continue my research here. I mean, Boston is definitely one of the best places for uh, biotechnologies, uh, especially if you're working on those areas.
0: hmm And on your, I guess, journey to get to where you are, did you have any mentors that helped you helped you get to where you are?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's uh, it's, it's probably even not one mentor, but it's a group of mentors. I mean, also, uh, well, for example, I mean, uh, I was working in a lab, uh, of uh. Dr. Ali Kapusini, who was uh, who, who is a pretty, uh, uh, I mean, reliant bioengineer as well. And uh, I mean, I learned a lot from there. And also, uh, it's, not, it's not only him, but also we have a range of uh, collaborators and, uh, and colleagues who are also very supportive and also being able to, uh, I mean, guide me throughout the whole journey. I mean, it's, it's against not only one or two people, but it's a whole group of people that are mm-hmm. uh, really helpful over their years.
0: Mm-hmm. So as I'm sure you can attest to this, that having mentors is, I guess, integral to, you know, getting to where you want to go. Do you have any advice for someone who is looking for a mentor? Like how should they go about looking for someone? What kind of things should they look for in their mentor?
1: Yeah. So, uh, so basically I think it's multifold. So, uh, so, uh, there are aspects that are related to scientific uh, uh, things. Uh, for example, of course, I mean you have to make sure that your science is uh, is uh, is uh, doing great for to begin with. But then, uh, beyond that, uh, there are also mentors that are uh, on your career path that are on your, for example, uh, life as well. So it's, it's again it's uh, eventually uh, going to be a balanced. Uh, I mean. Uh, Consideration of everything, right? So then, everything has to fly well for any uh, journey that you take over, uh, take take, uh, take parting. So so then, I think uh, really uh, people who can help you uh, and listen to you and be able to uh, speak with you. Uh, uh, um, um, Challenges that uh, you may have encounter, I think those are going to be very important aspects when ones to look for a, a mentor, multiple mentors on different aspects.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's not just about I guess their their status or where they are, but more so how who are they as a person as well? Are they able to? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Reach so you?
1: yeah, of course. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a, a multi-fold consideration over there. So yes, yeah, so who they are as a person, and how uh, I think they have to be really caring about. Uh, you as a person and then uh, Mm -hmm. advise you on on the different aspects of life and the career and uh, whatever things that uh, may concern you.
0: Mm -hmm. So speaking of that, uh, this is a very interesting field that you're in, biotechnology, bioengineering. I think it's really relevant and I think this is definitely where the future is heading. So if there's any young, I guess, students listening to this podcast right now, what kind of advice would you give them if they want to get involved in this kind of industry?
1: Uh, I think I think my uh, only major advice would be uh, follow uh, your instinct or interest, right? So I think that's going to be really determining what you what you're going to be in the future. So I think if you find something that's really interesting or let's say a specific area or technology within the bioengineering community, then just pursue that with your uh, uh, I mean uh, intrinsic interest. And that thing, I think that's the most important thing. So once you have that, uh, then uh, everything's going to be uh, much easier uh, afterwards.
0: Okay. And nothing in specific? Like, are there any positions that they should be looking for? Any internships? Any programs? Or is it just more so just as long as you're f- following what's inside of you, that fire that's burning inside of you, everything will work itself out?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's the most important thing for sure to begin with. And uh, I mean, uh, positions and other things, I mean, I think those are very dependent on individuals, right? So it's quite hard to give a a general sort of, uh, I mean, advice on on that. But of course, I mean, it's going to be uh, all dependent on individuals' uh, journeys and other things. But then, uh, of course, I mean, try to uh, uh, choose uh again we'll talk about mentors right so people who can really support your ideas or your enthusiasm, enthusiasm to uh to allow you to really uh, become what you want to be in the future
0: mm-hmm. and that's great advice for for anyone listening right now um this is actually the part of the podcast where we get to like i guess the deepest part of the podcast because regardless of who we have on here i think we always want to ask them this next question so I'm a, I'm a relatively young person. I know a lot of people who are like around my age right now are, they might be struggling deciding their career path or whatever. Um, since you are distinguished in your field, you're career focused, I want to ask you, what is your perspective on success? Like, is it defined by your accomplishments or your career? Or do you think there's more to life than just those things that we as a society seem to put a lot of focus on?
1: Yeah, so I think it's uh it's 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 good and bad, right? So of course, I mean, uh, well, I think I think I, I think, uh, yeah, I think what I'm trying to say is, I mean, uh, you wouldn't want to focus on, uh um, on the reliance right? So because I mean, I think everything's natural because if you do your thing well enough, then I mean, those things are coming naturally along. Uh, you're getting recognized by the field and other things like that. So I would not think that you should be starting with, uh, I mean, the goal of being famous or being known by by other people, right? So I think that's not going to be the uh, uh, major goal at this uh, for for being a scientist, but uh, it's more if you're following your heart and do everything right and uh, properly and uh, exciting to the community and also uh, for the benefits of the entire society then uh i mean those accomplishments uh naturally come in uh, uh i think that's uh should be uh that should be basically what the uh, one would be thinking about i guess when they're trying to enter the field hopefully
0: that is a, an amazing answer thank you for that and honestly that's really what I was hoping you would say, because I feel like, you know, a lot of young people, they have uh, the wrong idea of what they should be doing and why they should be doing things. So to hear you say that from your position really, really makes, uh, uh, it makes me personally feel better about my decisions. And I hope it makes some of the listeners here, uh, give them some more clarity on what they should be doing. Awesome, man. Uh, I think this has been a great conversation. Uh, is there uh, anything else that we should wrap up on? Or do you think we should land this podcast?
1: Uh, I think I think that sounds all good to me. I mean, it, it, uh, yeah, I think we discussed about uh, all the important things that uh, that uh, we're thinking about, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, just to wrap up, so is there anywhere that uh, if people want to learn more about you or your work, like where can they find you and where can they uh, learn more about your stuff?
1: Yeah. So we have a website, uh, uh, www.shrekjang.com, so that's basically Uh, where everything's being uploaded uh, to. So uh, everything, like all the important information that uh, people might be interested in uh, should be on top. So
0: yeah, you heard it here, shrikezhang.com. And this has been uh, the Mindset Podcast, episode one. My name's Hirshan. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Dr. Zhang, for the wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right, take care. No way! You made it to the end of the very first episode of Mindset, a podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and hey, if you enjoyed that conversation, I got great news for you. We got plenty more episodes in store. That's why you need to click subscribe, follow, like, whatever the button is on your platform. You need to smash that button right now because we got so much more great conversations in store, and we can't wait to share them with you, okay? You're going to get educated inspired god forbid you might even get entertained okay so click that button we'll see you next time okay i'm stopping the chasing it's more than over